Hello, welcome back to Come Follow Me with Fair Faithful Answers to New Testament Questions. My name is Jennifer Roach. Today, we're going to talk some more about grace and works. We're going to the Come Follow Me material. We've already been Romans, if you can believe that. Um, and we're looking at questions as we go along that your evangelical friends or family members might have about our faith. In, in hopes that you can kind of better understand where they're coming from, maybe help them better understand where you're coming from, and that the two of you can have a better conversation, you might be able to offer them some of the gifts of our faith. So before I get started, I have to say, it was so fun to meet so many of you at the FAIR conference last week. I lost track of how many um, viewers came up to me, say hello. It was really, it was fantastic fun. I really enjoyed it. So many of you have lived these just long-term lives of good faithfulness in this church and have been so kind to embrace me, this newcomer who in some ways I've been in this church for five minutes, right, compared to some of you. Um, and so it was just really sweet to get to meet some of you. I just felt so loved and embraced. Um you you might know this. I've gotten to do a real a lot of really cool things in our church over the last few years. And sometimes people are surprised that I've been in this church less than five years. Um and I I always tell people that it really comes back to folks that I've met through fair. Um honestly, every cool thing I have gotten to do has been because of somebody that I met through fair. So it's wonderful to meet more of you. I am so grateful. Uh, my understanding is that the talks will be available sometime this week, the hopefully early in the week, where you can stream the talks. Um, I gave my talk on Friday afternoon. It was on the research I've done over the last year on how our church handles cases of sexual abuse. Um, take a listen if that is a topic that's of interest to you or something that you worry about, like a lot of people do. Um it's totally outside of the scope of what we're doing here, so I'm not going to recap all of it for you. Um, but it is a fun talk to give, and I was, I was really, really pleased with how it came out. I'm also sort of embarrassed to tell you this part, <laughs> um, but I will because I'm also incredibly proud. Every year, FAIR gives out an award. They call it the John Taylor Defense of the Faith Award, and they give it to a person who has made some significant efforts towards the work of apologetics and helping people understand our beliefs. And this year they gave it to me. Like, is that crazy or what? I'm so happy about it. I've read the list of recipients that this award has gone to before over the last 20 years. And they are absolutely some of the smartest people I know. Some just major heavy hitters in the kind of academic world of, of Latter-day Saints. And so I'm just very, very pleased to be honored as a low-key think that they should rename it into the Porter Rockwell Defense of the Faith Award. Porter Rockwell was Joseph Smith's bodyguard and and possibly a little unfinished in his defense of Joseph. I think that would be more fun, but the John Taylor Award is probably more dignified. So, so here we are. Anyway, um, today we have arrived in the book of Romans. Finally, we are out of the Gospels, out of Acts. We get to some of the letters. Um, we are going to talk about grace and works. This is the 
I think this is the third time we've addressed it in this show, and we'll do it six times total, each time from just a slightly different angle. Today's scripture jumping off point is Romans 3, 23 through 24, some of the most famous verses that Paul ever wrote. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, our evangelical friends read that, um, and he, what they hear is, all you need is God's grace. You need nothing else. What they don't necessarily pick up on is the background that's embedded behind that. So at this point in kind of the life of the New Testament, what is going on is the the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are having um, some conflict over what do the Gentile Christians need to do to be followers of Jesus. Some of the Jewish Christians want them to be circumcised in order to to join this faith. And others are saying, no, no, they don't need to do that. And, and certainly many of the Gentiles are saying, no, no, we don't need to do that. So I hear um, that the council in Jerusalem happens. They make a decision that says, no, the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. What they need is this grace of God. So it's not kind of how evangelicals love to present it as this grace versus works situation. In its actual historical context, it's a grace versus circumcision conversation. It's an entirely different conversation that they're having. They sort of pull it out of context and, and it gets used against Latter-day Saints a lot, to be honest. Um, now, when I read Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as, as a gift. I do not know any Latter-day Saints who would read that verse and say, no, absolutely not. This is not what we believe. Like, no, no Latter-day Saint would say that. Um, in, in fact, in recent years, there have been a number of like general conference talks and other teachings all about the importance of grace. If we were just tracing Latter-day thought as it's developed on this topic, th there's some interesting developments over time, but there isn't tons of debate about what it is. We believe Paul when he says we're saved by grace, um, which is why the conversation about grace gets really difficult with evangelicals. Um, they're bringing some historical um, baggage into this that we're not bringing. I'll explain all of that to you. And in some ways, perhaps we're bringing some baggage that they are not bringing. Um, when evangelicals accuse Latter-day Saints of of not believing in grace, I think the normal Latter-day Saint response is something like, well, wait a minute, I, I think we do. Um, and then maybe the evangelical pulls out like some old quotes from leaders kind of taken out of context um, to try and prove that we believe things we don't believe. Uh, they're telling you what you believe, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't think I believe that. And the whole thing, it just goes downhill from there. So let me let me give you some back to explain why evangelicals have ended up where they've ended up on that. So they are very similar here to other Protestants. Um, and there's history here. We have to go all the way back to the 5th century and talk about this dude named Pelagius. So... Pelagius was writing about how to be a Christian while the Roman Empire is crumbling. There's moral decay everywhere. 
things are crazy debaucherous. Pelagius is a monk from Britain. He travels to Rome while he's living there. He he's trying to write to the Christians and be like, get it together, people. Um, and nobody, absolutely nobody likes what he is saying. Um, he's actually Pelagius is one of the first known British authors. He's writing in like 418. Um, so he's one of the first like recorded British authors that we know about. He was condemned as a heretic in a Kind of a complicated series of trials that I won't go into, but you should know um, they hold him responsible for the things he said. They hold him responsible for things he did not say. They they try him and find him a heretic. After he dies, they try him two more times and find him guilty both times. That's how much they hate this guy. Um, this is still, Pelagius is still very much an issue for evangelicals. Just two years ago, there was a book that came out 400 pages on Pelagius. This is, this is something many, many of them, at least the ones who have any academic training in theology, m many of them know about. Um, the, the period that Pelagius is in, sometimes it's called late antiquity, um, it's during the century when there's like all these wars between like the Goths and the Byzantines and Rome is just like falling apart. It's kind of the last vestiges of the Roman Empire. And it is morally collapsing, right? So Pelagius is trying to tell them, you can't just say you're Christians. You actually have to act like Christians. Um the political leaders don't like this. The religious leaders don't like this. Um, th there's a lot of corruption in the in the church. The the church is the Catholic Church at this time, but it's really the only Christian church. That's what it is. Um, there there's moral corruption in the church. It's a really really it's a, just a devastatingly sad part of the history of the Catholic Church. They have him declared a heretic. Um, and so nobody wants to listen to him. I am not here to defend Pelagius. I'm just telling you, this is in there, in the evangelicals and in the Protestants, this is in the, the culture that's been handed down to them. For 1,600 years, they have had this tradition of, nope, works are not good. Trying to modify your behavior, not good. Um, only grace matters. So this has been in that culture for a really, really long time evangelicals also go through kind of a repeat of history on this in the 20th century. Um, I covered a little bit of this in one of my early on episodes, but evangelicals used to be called, they were originally called neo-fundamentalists. The term fundamentalist is coined in the 1920s around the same time as the Scopes monkey trials. If you know what that is, it's this time in American society, a lot of people are worried about evolution and science and, and all these things. Um, the fundamentalists at that time, as the term is coined, they're, they're standing against evolution is, is what they're doing. By the 1940s, though, the fundamentalist movement had really fallen apart. And by the time World War II ends, um, nobody really wants at that moment to be identified as a fundamentalist. So there's this group of younger leaders. Um, Billy Graham is one of them, Billy Sunday, and a number of other people's names you might recognize. And they had sort of grown up in the heyday 
of, of like the fundamentalist heyday. Didn't want to revive fundamentalism as a belief system, but they really wanted to revive the energy of that, of the kind of cultural moment of that. So they initially call their group neo-fundamentalists. Very quickly, they change it to neo-evangelicals, and then not long, they drop the neo and just become the evangelicals. And what this really group of evangelicals really wanted was to not be seen as their grandparents' generation. They viewed them as a bunch of like old fuddy-duddies who had all kinds of rules about church that had to be followed. And if you didn't follow those rules, you were clearly not a Christian. And the you know, post-World War II evangelical moment they're really capitalizing on the shifts that are happening in society, and they do not want to be seen as like, we're just these people who are going to insist you obey a whole bunch of obscure, strange rules. Um, it's a, It wasn't exactly late Rome all over again, but kind of. They wanted to have this experience of like, no, it's our faith that's important. It doesn't matter if we follow your rules. But what happened was they threw out an awful lot of baby with that bathwater, right? I I actually really admired their move towards saying um, being a believer isn't about do you follow these rules perfectly? Like, I'm on board with that. Um, but what happens it, throughout the 50s and it just explodes in the 60s and 70s is the evangelicals say, only belief matters. We can follow culture on everything else. We can do everything else that our culture is doing as long as we just have this belief in our heart because that's God's grace. Behavior doesn't really matter. Um, kind of a Gnostic position to take. Evangelicals hate that. So I'm sorry, evangelical friends, to say that, but it really is this. If we what we believe matters, what we do doesn't matter nearly as much. So whether they know it or not, evangelicals have, have been handed this history, 1,600 years worth of this history. And I only sold you two points in it. There's lots of ways along the, on the way where that gets reinforced. They've been handed this history that tells them grace is good and works are bad. And by works, they really mean anything that you could do to try and live a life that might be pleasing to God. Um, some of them get very animated and very... Um, very explicit about what all of that means and what God thinks of that. And in their view, God thinks nothing good about that. And that it's um, it's one of the worst insults you can do to God is to try to live a life that pleases God. Because how could you, terrible sinner, please God? Latter-day Saints, I know your ears just melted off of your heads. And I'm sorry about that. Um, works is a little bit of a of a trigger word for them. Not because they're little snowflakes, not because they're triggerable, but because it comes with this incredible amount of, of historic baggage for them. And it means a lot of really, really bad things, even though they can't quite pick apart why. They just know that it's bad. Um, I don't say that as an insult, but rather as a way to maybe help you think, um, if you think of different ways to talk about this with them, if you're using the word that they probably provided for you of works, um, you probably don't have a super great understanding of all the baggage that they bring into that word. And so if you 
just like pick up that word from them, you're sort of admitting to things you don't even know you're ad admitting to, to be honest. Um, Latter-day Saints are sometimes told by evangelicals that we must um, like pray to accept Jesus into our hearts. That's, that's the language that they use. And, and that we shouldn't rely on, on works at all, only on the grace that is afforded you in that prayer. But if you tell an evangelical that you are, have Jesus in your heart, they will tell you you have the wrong Jesus, so it doesn't count. In, in other words, you have the absolute correct understanding of Jesus, and if you err even a tiny bit, the whole thing doesn't count. How are you supposed to gain this perfect knowledge of Jesus? Well, you must be taught by the, the correct kind of teacher in, in their way of thinking and accept that teacher's teaching before your prayer will be accepted. They don't, they don't see it this way, but that's a work, right? If it's just God's grace, if it's just you have to say, okay, Jesus, I accept you, um, then anyone who said, okay, Jesus, I accept you would be a believer. We say, okay, Jesus, I accept you all the time. They say, no, 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 you have the wrong Jesus. You're not doing it right. You need to do these things correctly. Well, that's works. They don't, re they don't really recognize that they they're bringing that into the conversation, but they are. Um, here is my suggestion. Take it for what it's worth. <laughs> if you want to have a conversation with an evangelical loved one, I would skip the works and grace language. They are framing that in a way that brings some suppositions into it that you don't know, that you don't have a background in, you probably don't understand, and you're saying things that they don't understand, that reinforce this misbelief that somehow we think we have to earn enough points to get to heaven or something. Um, that language is so culturally and historically loaded, it's really, really hard to get to the actual meaning of what's said. The reality is that we talk, like, we completely talk past each other here. Both Latter-day Saints and evangelicals absolutely rely on God's grace. And we both absolutely believe that our own works and action, our own decisions, our own agency are part of that. That we live a certain way because God loves us. Where we live lives trying, they, they believe that too. They just use entirely different language to talk about it. If you can sidestep the works grace language, you sort of sidestep a lot of the um, unnamed baggage that they bring into that conversation. Um, it's not that they necessarily see see works as bad. Like th their churches do all kinds of so uh, like social projects, right? They bring water to a village in Africa. They they do all kinds of things like that. That if we were doing them, they would call them works in the bad sense. Um, they just see our works as bad because they believe that we're over-relying on that, that we're trying to earn some way into heaven. And they're super, super protective of the idea that Jesus is the only bridge that we have to get from, from here to there. Letters since I already believe that. They can't hear us when we say we believe that because they're really, really stuck on the fact that we think it's a different Jesus. And we just go around and around and around this muddle, right? 
Um, if you watched my video from last week about testimonies, I, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you go back and watch it. That's a really, really good place to start. When evangelicals talk about their testimony, they're telling you the story of what their life was like before they knew Jesus, how they came to know Jesus, and what it's like now. It's a very simple formula, and they all use it. They're all taught this. Just like we're taught to give testimonies, that's the testimony they're taught to give. If you can, if you can figure out a way to talk in that language... Um, before, or I imagine my life without Jesus in my life, I imagine it might be like this, or maybe it was like this, or I stepped away from faith in Christ for a while and my life was like this. Here's how I gained a testimony of Jesus Christ. Here's how I came to believe in Christ. And here's how I'm living a different life today. Here's what I'm doing. Here's, here's the good things God has brought into my life. And here's the ways in which I am trying to cooperate with him to live a life that pleases him as best as I can. Um, that might get you kind of around this complicated corner uh, where everybody seems to get stuck. It's not magic. It might not. Um, but I offer that to you. Use it in your discernment. Um, borrowing that language from them might help you. Um, okay. That is all I have for this week. It's my third week in a row with a shorter video, but most of that was because I was doing massive prep for the fair conference. And now I get a little bit of smooth sailing. So hopefully we'll go back to our, our regular length videos. Um, so good to meet so many of you at the fair conference. Just, just adored that week so much. Um, if you're interested, videos should be out sometime this week. Please love for you to take a look at my video, obviously, but there are a lot of them that are really interesting. There's kind of something for everybody. Every different level of geeky interest, there's something for you in there. Come back next week and we'll do some more here. See you then.